A week ago Sunday, I shared a message on fasting with you to prepare us, and then just this last Sunday, um, Brad Stenman spoke on fasting as well and how this call came to us. And now Pastor Ron wants to give word and instruction for us so that we're really going to get into this thing, and I really want you to enjoy it. And, and uh, you might be, your body's grumbling over what it's missing in, in physical food or whatever thing you've given up, but take heart because your spirit is enjoying the things of God. This isn't woe is me for 40 days. <laughs> you have to turn your delight into something else to where I'm sure halfway through this, the thing that you were craving before is gone, and the now the craving is this joy in the spirit. Amen? Amen. Pastor Ron, please come and share your word. Hallelujah. Good evening, everyone. Glad to get this opportunity to share on fasting. Not one of my most favorite subjects, but the good news is our 40-day fast is now a 39-day fast. <laughs> and if you go home, go right to bed, you won't have to suffer the, the cravings, right? So as Pastor Tim said, you know, we had the, the call to the fast and then the explanation of how the fast got burned in our hearts. And as Pastor Tim said as well, we just feel a difference on this fast. Like this is just going to be a fast where people are going to connect with God in such a strong way that there's going to be just a great joy. There's going to be just a joy and a pleasure. And uh, it's just going to change your whole attitude towards fasting. So let's pray. And then um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Isaiah 58 for a minute. So Lord, we come to you tonight. We just thank you for another opportunity to be in your house to be in your presence. And Lord, we just want to dive deep into the well of your love, Lord, that we would experience you in that new way that you have for us. Lord, as those prophecies came forth, that, that you're pulling back the curtain, Lord, that you're unveiling secrets of your heart, Lord, that we're going to go to new depths. And Lord, most of all, the fruit of the unity that is about to be birthed in this place we look forward with excited anticipation of everything you're about to do in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you have your Bibles, um, as I said, Isaiah 58. This has been mentioned a couple times already, but it's a pivotal scripture, and I'm going to do a lot of reading tonight, so um, please hang with me, but it's very important that we get through some of these things. But Isaiah 58 is probably the number one go-to chapter in the Bible about fasting. And so it tells you how not to fast, and it tells you how to fast, okay? So I think we would do well to study what God himself says about fasting. So Isaiah 58 says, Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sin. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of God. They ask me for decisions. They seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? So the people are pouring out their complaint here. They're saying, hey, 
we're doing this fasting thing, and what good is it? We're not getting your attention. We're not getting the things that we're fasting for. And uh, we just want to encounter you, and it's not happening. And Isaiah is saying, shout it. Shout it among the people that what you're doing, you're doing with a wrong spirit, wrong heart. We're going to see the Lord's response. It says, yet on, your, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your quarreling fast ends, or your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? So the Lord is speaking a strong word of correction here, isn't he? He's saying, you call this a fast? You think this is going to move my heart? You think this is going to uh, compel me to do anything on your behalf? Because you say you're fasting, but you're acting wickedly. He's saying, you got to check up here, right? So then he goes, this is the kind of fast I want. So we continue here in verse 6. He says, is this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. He will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. That's awesome. Because he's saying, if you fast in this manner, if you do the things that I've called you to do, the things I've compelled you to do, um, you will experience me in that new and fresh way. You will experience me in the depth, and I will answer your cry and your call. I love what he says, I'll be your rear guard. I don't know if you've ever had a rear guard before, but I've had the opportunity uh, several times to speak in some of the inner city churches. And when you are a guest speaker, you're greeted at the door with an armor bearer. And that armor bearer is your front guard. He goes ahead of you, and he makes sure that you find your way to where you're supposed to be. He's with you along your side, in front of you, uh, to get you water, to, to make sure everything is in order, and to make sure under, uh, that you understand the service, the order of the service. And then you have flanks, people on your side. They're just so proud to be walking alongside of you, and they, they got your side. But then you can feel someone walking behind you. You feel someone like on your heels, and you look over your shoulder, and that's your rear guard. That is awesome to have a rear guard. So you're totally surrounded. And can you imagine having God himself as your rear guard? And that's the promise that he gives us. If we would fast correctly, he would be your rear guard. That's awesome, isn't it? So you're standing there, and someone's trying to attack you, or someone's trying to bully you, and all of a sudden, you see them back away, and you think it's because of your strength, because your power. You're like, yeah. But it's your rear guard that they're seeing, right? It's like, God Almighty is this guy's rear guard. I'm going to lay off of him. I'm not going to mess with this guy, because look at who his rear guard is. So I think that's awesome that he'd be the rear guard. He said that he'll hear our cries for help. 
Continuing on, he says, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, I gotta stop right there because, you know, a lot of you are still trying to decide, when am I gonna fast, right? So this is day one, so you gotta come up with a decision. Maybe some of you can't fast food. Maybe some of you aren't on social media and you're, you're just wondering, what should I fast? How about fasting gossip? How about fasting your tongue? How about fasting your attitude? I like that, that word, that smashing the enemy in the teeth, because that's what we have to do. We have to bust them in the mouth, because that's the place that he does the most damage, right? It's through our mouths. And I think that's an awesome thing. If you're looking for something last minute, a last minute fasting idea, try that. We have a friend, um, she was pretty uh, long-winded. She used a lot of words whenever she talked. And she decided to go on a fast. The Lord called her to fast. And he called her to fast speech for 40 days. And she said she wasn't going to say a word. She was just going to walk around with one of those dry erase boards. And she actually had a rope around her neck with this dry erase board. So when she went in public, she would write down to the cashier what she needed. But she would just determine and purpose in her heart to shut her mouth for 40 days so that she could check up on her speech and she realized how much idle chatter came out of her. And it, it changed her life forever. It was an awesome fast. So I'm not pointing anybody out, but that might be a good thing to consider. Okay. Um, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land it will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of the broken walls, restorers of streets with dwellings. And again, what a promise. I mean, I really encourage you during this fast, maybe every day, read, read this uh, Isaiah 58 because it's so instructive and to what our attitude should be, what our behavior should be, and how we shouldn't act as well. But can you imagine just being that spring in a dry place, to, to be able to survive the sun-scorched land? You know, you're just totally cold when everybody else is baking. You know, to have that kind of anointing on you would be awesome. So my prayer, and I'm sure all the leaders here are praying that we can have these kind of encounters as we begin this fast and continue on through the fast. And instead of getting weaker and weaker, we get stronger and stronger. And people look at us and say, man, it's hot. How are you surviving this? It's like, man, God's got me. Oh, it's, I'm parched, I'm so thirsty. I'm not, man, I'm, I'm full of the living water and, and I can get through this drought, no problem. So these are some of the promises that God holds out for us when we fast. Whenever we do anything, um, in the church, whenever we're uh, confronted with some decisions, one of the questions that I always like to ask, and I'm sure it's probably annoying at some times, but I always ask, what is this unto? Because I always want to understand what's the purpose, what's the directive, what's the objective of this? And the Lord really gave us clarity on this, that this is unto going deeper with him. This is unto intimacy with God. And so that's the answer to the question, why are we doing this? What is this unto? And we believe that as we get closer to God, it's going to break off 
a lot of stuff, a lot of garbage, maybe even some demonic spirits. And, and we're just going to see an open heaven over this place. And so as you get more intimate, God is going to take us deeper, and he's going to just fill us with uh, some mighty deeds, I think. A corporate fire starts with a personal fire. Again, we're, we're talking about possible, the possibility of this fast leading up to a revival, maybe. Wouldn't that be awesome if a fire broke out? But a corporate fire, like we talked last week, starts with individual fires. So it's each one of us could start catching fire, and one begets another, begets another, right? It's like those sparklers, right? When you're a kid, and you light a sparkler, and then the next guy lights his sparkler, and all of a sudden, the whole neighborhood is filled with the light from sparklers, because each person is contagious to the other person. And that's, again, what we're hoping to see as we go deeper with God, that we start to see these personal fires turn into a corporate fire. The idea of voluntary sacrifice is lost on our culture of entertainment. We're so caught up in this entertainment culture. You know, I'm from this generation. You deserve a break today. That's become our mantra. That's become our lifestyle, hasn't it? Whenever you're faced with something tough, you're like, hey, I deserve a break today. I don't deserve to go through this pain. I don't deserve to go through this suffering. I, I want to kick back. I want to enjoy life. And, and I don't want to face any trials, any tribulations. And what's happened? It's made us weak, hasn't it? It's made us uh, a society that, that no longer desires the hard things in life. But anything that's uh, worth having is worth fighting for, isn't it? And so this is the mentality that I'm hoping that I break off myself, that you deserve a break today. It's a rough day. Give me the remote. Give me a bowl of popcorn. And uh, I'm good. What about going to pray for the sick? What about helping the poor? What about doing some of these things that Isaiah chastised the nation for? To say, these are the things that you're neglecting. These are the things that you're not doing. If you were to turn off your TV or get off social media, maybe those are some of the things that you want to fast. You'll find you got time to do all kinds of great things for God. So I would really encourage you in that. You keep running uh, to another best thing only to be more and more dissatisfied. You know, we have this inner groan that just can't be satisfied because we're trying to fill it with all the wrong things. We consider fasting to be radical Christianity, but it's really Christianity 101. We have to get back to the basics. This is something that we're all called to do. No one's exempt from this. And so we need to move it from theory to practice. We need to move fasting from a spiritual discipline Instead um, of saying to yourself, oh, I have to fast, you should say, I get to fast. I get to fast. Our church called it fast. We get to fast. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's encouraging each other because we get to fast. And as Brad so eloquently put it, this is an invitation. God has picked us. God has called us. Do you realize what a privilege, what an honor it is that he's encouraging us to enter into a fast. And so he's inviting us, come, learn from me. Come and go deeper with me. How awesome is that? I don't know about you, but I feel so honored. I feel so privileged that God is calling us, that he singled us out. And I am hoping to hear more and more churches doing it. I know there's churches out there that fast, don't get me wrong. But I just want to see it develop into a lifestyle. How about you? The fasted lifestyle is what we want to see happen. 
God set up his kingdom to work best when we pray, when we fast, and when we give. And those are all the things in Isaiah 58. Praying, fasting, and giving. Three nightmare topics that no pastor wants to speak on, right? The prayer message, everybody checks out on. The fasting message, nobody wants to hear. And the giving message is the dread. So whenever you get to speak at another church and you ask the home pastor, is there anything you'd like me to talk about? Uh, yeah, could you cover giving? Could you cover fasting? Could you cover praying? Because nobody wants to talk about those things, right? But those are actually the on-ramps. Those are the on-ramps to the spiritual depth, aren't they? Once you get that in your DNA, once you get that locked in your spirit, you just can't help but go deeper and deeper with God. And that's what an on-ramp does, doesn't it? Takes you deep into that highway. And I don't know about you, but I want to develop that so it becomes so natural that I can just merge right into that place and, and just do it so naturally. And so I just encourage you to get those on-ramps. Matthew 6, 16, again, I'm just repeating a lot of stuff that was already said. And uh, at the end of this, you should have gotten a seven-page handout. I'm going to try to fly through that and cover it with you quickly. So if you're trying to follow along on that sheet of paper, I'm not there yet, okay? <clears throat> so those are the on-ramps. Matthew 6, 16 says, when you pray, not if you pray, or, I'm sorry, when you fast, not if you fast. So again, it's an expectation of every Christian, every follower of Christ, that we would fast. Fasting is usually coupled with other things. And some examples, fasting and praying, fasting and weeping, fasting and sackcloth, and fasting and mourning. I was talking to a lady the other day, and she's telling me how she plays the lottery. And uh, we were talking about uh, lottery tickets, and she was telling me that she played the Powerball. And she said she got five out of six numbers. She didn't get the Powerball number. So in, in the lottery, I guess there's one number that's considered the Powerball. And so that is like a multiplier on that ticket. So she said when she got five out of six, she said the five numbers got her a check for $2,500. But if she would have got the Powerball, she would have got $2.5 million. So fasting is kind of our Powerball, isn't it? It's, it's the multiplier on our prayers. When you start praying, I mean, and you add fasting to it, you'd be amazed at how much more power your prayers have. Some things only come out with prayer and fasting. You may remember the story of the demon-possessed boy. When the disciples came back to the Lord, they said that they could not deliver this child of this demonic spirit. So Jesus took care of it. He rebuked them for their unbelief. But he said that sometimes these things only come out by prayer and fasting. So again, fasting is that, that powerball, right? It's that spiritual sledgehammer. And so we're hoping to impart to you this new tool for your spiritual kit, your spiritual toolbox. If you can add fasting to it, it's like having that one tool that in your toolbox you don't use that often. But when you do, it really changes everything. So I have a sledgehammer, and I bought it probably 25 years ago, and I never ever use this thing. I bought it once for a specific job, and it sits in my shed, and maybe once a year when I'm cleaning my shed, I move this sledgehammer. But when I pick that thing up, I'm like, ooh. I start looking around like, 
what can I hit with this thing? Because you're, it's so irresistible because it has so much power to it and you know you could do a lot of damage. And uh, where's the neighbor's dog, you know? But anyways, you just feel that power and that's what fasting is like. I just want to lift that up and, and just experience that power that that gives you. Jesus rebuked his disciples in that situation because they lacked spiritual hunger. I love to tell stories about John G. Lake. If you don't know who John G. Lake is, he was a man who lived from 1870 to 1935. He's one of my personal spiritual heroes. Read all his sermons, read all his books. Uh, just a phenomenal man of God. He started 500 churches in South Africa. And uh, he was just called by God. Just got in line at the train station with no money. Guy in front of him turns behind and says, Sir, I'm supposed to buy you a ticket. Where do you want to go? So he goes to South Africa. He starts 500 churches. When Cecil Peasley was here, and some of you remember Cecil, um, he told me personally, he said that John Lake's churches are still alive and well in South Africa. He said, in fact, they're the most thriving churches in South Africa of the churches that were founded by John Lake. He also came to America after that. And he started healing rooms, and he became known for the healing anointing that he carried. And uh, there's over 100,000 documented cases of people who were physically healed through John Lake's healing rooms. But John Lake would tell some of his healing technicians, that's what he called the people who worked with him, and he dispatched them to various places throughout the U.S. And he would send maybe one of his healing technicians down to Tennessee to pray for a little old lady. And he'd say, don't come back until she's healed. Now, can you imagine if you get plucked out of your family, out of your home, and you get dispatched to some place that's not familiar to you, and your assignment is to pray for someone until they got healed? You'd get pretty hungry, wouldn't you? You'd be pretty desperate to see that person healed. I mean, you'd probably pray like you've never prayed before. I'm sure of it. The result of fasting exposes our weakness and our humility. So as you're on this fast, you're going to run into some ugly things about yourself that you're not going to like. But you know what? That's, that's the grace of God, isn't it? It's the absolute grace of God that he shows us these things. You know, as the counselor here at the church, I think I've shared with you many times that at the end of the day when I'm walking out to my car, I'm thinking, what's that thing that everybody sees about me that I can't see myself? Because people come in, and it's pretty obvious early on what the problem is, what the issue is. You know, God just shows you, man, that, that guy's got this two-by-four hanging out of his head. That's your problem, buddy, you know? But they can't see it. It's like a new revelation. It's like an epiphany for them. And so as I'm walking out, I'm always wondering, what's that two-by-four hanging out of my head that everybody knows that I can't see? So it will expose those things. So get ready for some revelations that you probably aren't going to be too happy about. But again, it's the grace of God to draw you deeper and to draw you more near to him. It exposes our lack and desperate need for God. It gives us a holy desperation. And I don't know about you, but can you imagine when this atmosphere gets charged with a holy desperation, how things are going to change? I don't know about you, but this place is going to blow up because you got these people just pressing in, going hard for God. And, you know, this church does a good job, but can you imagine if we were doing it with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength? I can only imagine. 
God will not do our part, and we can't do his part. This is a partnership, and God gives us full instructions on how to do it. And, uh, you know, I tell the students in DI when I teach hearing God's voice or prayer fast, I can teach you how to hear God's voice, but I can't teach you how to obey God's voice. And so that's what we have to learn, how to obey. And fasting brings out obedience. Does it make sense to our natural minds that sacrificing food and pleasure unlocks our heart for more of God? It just doesn't make sense, does it? But I love this, this quote. This is from Mike Bickle. He says, hunger is the escort into the deeper things of God. I'm going to say that again. Man, just You could chew on this for days. Hunger is the escort into the deeper things of God. So when you feel those hunger pains, that's your call to prayer. That's your call to go deeper. That's that little alarm clock going off saying, okay, instead of eating something, instead of satisfying my flesh, instead of going back onto Facebook, I want to go deeper into the things of God. So it's that little alarm clock going off. And I think this is an awesome way to look at it. Hunger makes you violent. You know, when a man's family is starving, they'll become violent, right? We're seeing this huge immigration situation with all these refugees, and what are they fighting over? They're fighting over food, right? People are dying because when the food trucks come in, there's riots, there's stampedes, because people get violent because they are hungry. And so a hungry man is a violent man. There's a scripture in Matthew 11, 12. It's always puzzled me. It's one of the most puzzling scriptures I've ever come across. And it says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, but the violent take it by force. And I've got about 600 interpretations on that verse and, and ways that I can look at it and ways I try to understand it. But through fasting, I understand that if you're hungry for God, you get violent, right? I want more of him. I want to go deeper. I think of the woman with the issue of blood. She was so hungry for her healing. What did she do? She dove for the hem of his garment. She says, I got one chance to get to this, this guy. And I'm not going to waste it. I'm not going to squander it. And he's not getting by me. And she takes that dive, doesn't she? And that's where I want to be. I want to be so hungry for God that I don't miss him. That if I have to get violent over it, I'll get violent over it. We're so full of everything else that we have no spiritual appetite. That's been my experience in the natural, for sure. I remember Thanksgivings when both my mother was alive and my wife's mother was alive. They were both great cooks. And uh, I'm Italian, Luann's dad's Italian, and Italians know how to eat. And so we'd have these big spreads, and my mother would have Thanksgiving dinner at 11.30 in the morning so that all her children could go to the in-laws, four and five o'clock dinner. So we'd have this early Thanksgiving dinner, and every year I'd tell myself, this is a marathon, <laughs> pace yourself, don't eat so much. But my mother's cooking was great. The turkey was great. The gravy, you guys fasting, I know, I'm torturing you. <laughs> Mashed potatoes. Her stuffing was phenomenal. And I'd just gorge myself. And then dessert would come around and gorge myself. Then I'd have to go to Luann's mom and sit at that table. I just got up from my mother's table and I would sit there and I'd try to be polite. And I'd make my plate 
like a little bird's place, like a two-year-old kid's place, because I didn't want anything. I was so sick of food, I just couldn't even look at it. And every year I would see the disappointment on her face because she's like, you don't like my cooking? What's wrong? And it just every year I determined that I would not offend her, but every year I was weak. And, uh, but I was full. I was so full. And that's why I'm telling you this. We are so full from eating from the trough of the world that we don't have a hunger for God. And again, that's what this is all about, is breaking that worldly uh, appetite and replacing it with a godly appetite, right? So that the things of the kingdom don't repulse us like that second dinner did, but we're hungry for that and that alone. That we don't want to eat the lesser things. We don't want to eat that garbage. We're done with that. We want to eat the king's food, right? I love the story about Daniel. You all know the story about Daniel, how he told the king that he would not eat from his table because he had food that the king had no idea, right? He had heavenly manna that he could eat. He was too full on the things of God to compromise by eating the king's delicacies. And he couldn't be swayed by the king because the king would try to bribe them because eating at the table was such an honor. It was such a thing to be desired. But Daniel knew that was second class compared to the first class food that him and his men had to eat. So we're too full. What are you filled up on? What's keeping you from being hungry for the kingdom? And I want to encourage you, weed that out of your life. This is our glory to say no to the lesser things and to begin to choose him. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are they which hunger for righteousness. Hunger is actually a blessing. And when we hunger for righteousness, righteousness is the rightness of God. It's the rightness of God in your spirit, your soul, your body, your affairs, your business, your home, everywhere. And so we need to hunger for that righteousness that, that God holds out for us. I love this quote by John D. Lake. He says, hunger is the greatest persuader I know of. So true, isn't it? Didn't Esau sell his whole birthright for a pot of stew? But you can be persuaded by anyone. And again, that's what the king was trying to do to Daniel. He was trying to persuade him with his food and our appetites. Because of the hunger that the 120 in the upper room had, they were so hungry for God that God filled them up, didn't he? Filled them to overflowing. So we're trying, as your leaders, to encourage your spiritual appetites to develop a fasted lifestyle. So this isn't just about 40 days, shoo, we got over that, glad that's done with. This is just the beginning. And we're hoping that you'll call your own fast. Whenever you feel yourself getting a little loose in your behavior, maybe a little loose with your talk, maybe a little loose with your attitude, that you say, I need to check up here. And the fastest way I know to check up is I need to fast again. I need to recalibrate myself and reset myself so that I'm going hard after the things of God. So that I'm acting like a kingdom citizen and stop acting like someone from the world. So we're trying to move from a spiritual discipline to a passion and a desire to connect with the heart of God. Because too many times we look at prayer, fasting, and giving as spiritual disciplines. 
But we need to begin to look at those as passions, things that we get to prove to God where our hearts are. When Brad was speaking last week, the Lord gave me a vision. And the whole time he's speaking, and he, he began to speak about our hearts. And as he was speaking about our hearts being in bondage, our hearts being chained up, I actually got a vision. This is the closest thing I could find on Google. But it was a vision of a heart that was shriveled up, and it was encased in a cage, but the cage was made of spun sugar. And so that sugar, to me, represented the sweetness of the world, the sweet things of the world. And Brad talked about, as you fast, your heart enlarges. So what would happen if this heart began to enlarge in this spun sugar cage? It would explode, right? That spun sugar would just shatter because we're held in bondage by such a fragile, such an insignificant thing where we think it's our friend, we think it's protecting us, and it's the very thing that's holding us back. So I thank God for that vision because it really made clear to me some of the purposes of fasting. So again, we need to rip that feeding tube of the world out of our heart, out of our spirit, and insert God's feeding tube of the things of the spirit. I want to read to you um, something from one of John G. Lake's books. But again, the character of this man was phenomenal. He said that as a, as a, as a leader of 500 churches, he had missionaries all over Africa. And he said he couldn't eat steak knowing that his missionaries were eating mush. So when he had opportunities to eat out, when someone was buying his meal, he would get mush because he didn't want to eat a steak knowing that his missionaries were starving. He just couldn't do it. He said when the splits came, when the churches started getting contentions and divisions, he said it all started when the pumpkin pie eating missionaries came over from Europe and, and from America because they wanted to sit around and dine on the finest foods and they didn't have a heart for the missionaries like John Lake had. So this is one of the stories that he tells. I apologize for reading this, but I think it's really powerful and I think I have to read it. I really feel directed to read it instead of just summarizing it. So bear with me, but I, I swear this is really, this is very moving to me. He says, I love to tell this story because it's a story of a hungry man. A short time after I went to South Africa and God had began to work very marvelously in the city of Johannesburg, a butcher who lived in the suburbs was advised by his physicians that he had developed such a tubercular state, so the man had tuberculosis, <clears throat> that he might not live more than nine months. He wanted to make provisions so that his family would be cared for after he was gone. He bought a farm and undertook to develop it so that when he died, his family would have a means of existence. One day, he received a letter from friends at Johannesburg telling of the coming of what they spoke as the American Brethren. So this is John Lake's company that came into Johannesburg. And of the wonderful things that were taking place, they told of so-and-so, a terrible drunkard who had been converted, of his niece who had been an invalid in a wheelchair for five years, who had been healed of God, how one of his other relatives had been baptized in the Holy Ghost and was speaking in tongues, of other friends and neighbors who had been baptized and healed. He told of the powerful change that had come in the community and all the marvels of the vigorous work of God. 
Don Van Buren took the letter and crawled under an African thorn tree. He spread the letter out before God and began to discuss it with the Lord. I love the, the language here. Don't you? Takes this letter, Lord, we've got to have a conversation. We've got to discuss what's happening here. Um, God in heaven, if you could come to Mr. So-and-so, a drunkard, and deliver him from his sin and save his soul and put the joy of God in him, if you could come to this niece of mine, save her soul, heal her body, and send her out to be a blessing instead of a weight and a burden upon her friends, if you could come to so-and-so, and they were baptized in the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues, Lord, if you can do these things at Johannesburg, you can do something for me too. He knelt down, put his face to the ground, cried to God that he would do something for him. That morning, Van Buren was so stirred by the reading of that letter that his desire to be made whole got bigger than anything else in his consciousness. His heart reached for God, and that morning his prayer went through to heaven. Did you ever get one of those prayers that you know just went through? You, you just feel it. So he's, he's got this prayer. He knew it went through. God came down in his life. In 10 minutes, he took all the breath he wanted. The pain was gone, the tuberculosis had disappeared, and he was a whole man. But that was not all. He not only received a great physical healing, but God also had literally come in and taken possession of the man's life until he did not understand himself anymore. Wow. Didn't even recognize himself. Totally healed and emotionally healed. In telling me, he said, Brother, a new prayer from heaven was born in my spirit. I had prayed for my wife's salvation for 18 years, but I never could pray through. But that morning, so here's, here's uh, just a word of encouragement. Those of you who are praying for the prodigals, who are praying for loved ones, this man was praying 18 years for his wife. Listen to this. But that morning, I prayed through. It was all done. When I got to the house, she stood and looked at me for two minutes until it dawned in her soul that I was gloriously healed of God. She never asked the question as to how it took place, but she fell on her knees, threw her hands up to heaven and said, Pray for me, Dan. For God's sake, pray for me. I must find God today. And God came into her soul. This is amazing. Van Buren had 11 splendid children. The mother and he began praying. And within a week, the whole household of 13 had been baptized in the Holy Ghost. They went to his brother's farm, told of the wonder that God had done, prayed through, and in a little while, 19 families were baptized in the Holy Ghost. Want to hear a little bit more? I just got to, I got to read this part too. Sorry. Um, God so filled Von Vern's life with his glory that one morning God said to him, go to Pretoria. I'm going to send you to different members of parliament. At executive headquarters, he was admitted to the presence of Premier Lewis Booth. These people really exist. Booth told me about it afterwards. Premier Booth said, Lake, I had known Van Vern from the time he was a boy. I had known him as a reckless, rollicking fellow. But that man came into my office and stood 10 feet from my desk. I looked up, and before he began to speak, I began to shake in my chair. I knelt down. I had to stick my head under the desk and cry to God. Why? He looked and talked like God. He had the majesty of God. He was superhumanly wonderful. I mean, that is crazy, isn't it? To be able to walk into someone's office, and they hit the ground, and they crawl under their desk. I didn't even say anything. <laughs> I mean, don't you want that kind of anointing? Don't you want that kind of power? 
So when you're off of Facebook, when you're off of Instagram, pick some of these things up and start reading these because these will stir your soul because these are realities. These things happen and they're happening all the time. And people are like saying, where are the miracles, miracles of God? They're happening all around us. We're just not reading about them. So it goes on to tell, for the next year and a half, this man went systematically through all the judges, through all the politicians, and through all the leaders in, in uh, Pretoria, and they all got saved. Just amazing. And the fire of God broke out wherever this Van Buren spoke. And it was all birthed out of hunger. He heard somebody else was getting something from the king's table, and he said, uh-uh, what about me? What about me, God? And that should be our attitude towards all the gifts. What about me? I don't want to be the one lacking. I need these things. I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, how will we do greater things if we cannot do the, these things? Remember Jesus said, greater things shall you do? He's saying, how are you going to do the greater things if you don't even do the these things that Jesus did? So again, we should crave that. And we're hoping that this fast will begin to birth those cravings, those hunger pains in you. And at the end of the age, we know how the book ends. Revelation 22, 17, one of my favorite scriptures. The spirit and the bride say come. You know, we got all these date setters. You know, we've heard the end of the world. We've heard of the apocalypse. Everything is supposed to happen. We've survived so many of these dates. And I'm not mocking them. I take every prophetic word serious. If someone says, thus saith the Lord, I don't make fun of it. I just like, okay, we'll see what happens, you know. And who knows, some of those things might have been slated to happen, but maybe the intercessors, you know, move the hand of God. So be careful. Don't mock some of these things because you might get to the other side and find out that was God's grace. God spared us. That was really slated to happen. So be careful. Don't judge any prophecy with contempt. You know, we're not to despise any prophecy. So anyways... Revelation 22, 17 says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And that's when God is coming back. That's when the Lord is coming back. When his bride is so radiant, she is so beautiful, she is so hungry and so desiring of him that he tells God the Father, Don't hold me back any longer. i got to go get my bride. That's when he's coming back. So we need to posture ourselves and, and get ourselves ready for his return and motivate him for his return. Amen? Amen? Amen. So that's my message on fasting. And so I just want to cover some fasting guidelines with you because we want to make sure that you're properly equipped and properly prepared. So I'm going to go through this document really quick, just broad brush. Um, page one says fasting is biblical. I'm not going to read it to you line by line, but he gives you scriptural evidence that it is indeed uh, scriptural. He says, the maximum length of an adult fast that is biblically supported is 40 days without food. For a male adult in good health and three days without water, the Bible does not speak of children engaging in fasting food. So I want to make that clear. Uh, parents, don't allow your children to fast food. Okay? It's very important. And I'll talk about that a little bit later in this document. But, um, you know, I really want to encourage that nobody would fast total fast for 40 days because as starting out being new at fasting you really need to work up to a 40 day fast so you need to start off slower and when you fast if you if you break a day don't don't say it's over just go on 
Because if you shoot for 100% and you make 80%, that's a lot better than if you didn't fast at all, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, next point. Fasting is all, always voluntary, okay? That's up to you, it's between you and God. I just wanna encourage you, it's voluntary. Nobody here is mandating this. We're encouraging you, we're inviting you to it, but we don't wanna ever hear anybody saying, they forced me to fast and I got sick. It's voluntary, be moved by God to do that, okay? Then he goes through on page uh, two, talks again about minors and children. Just encourage them to uh, abstain from TVs, movies, internet, and other types of entertainment because we don't wanna develop eating disorders in kids because uh, that could easily happen. So um, no children fasting. Uh, fasting regularly, and that's what we wanna develop. It says fasting not only uh, Fasting is not only abstention, it is an exchange where we abstain from certain things in order to feast on God's word and his prayer. So I want to encourage you in that too. Page three <coughs> gives you some examples of types of fast. I'm not going to go over those, you just need to read those. Helpful hints for your fast, drink plenty of water, uh, preferably distilled water um, or purified water, some kind of filtered water, but uh, he gives you guidelines on how much water you should drink. Um, it's wise to uh, abstain from strong stimulants like caffeinated or sugary drinks that will help you sustain your fast. It talks about juice fasts. And then um, near the bottom, it talks about expecting some physical discomforts because of detoxification. Your body's detoxifying when you fast. Um, especially on the second day, uh, you might have fleeting hunger pains or dizziness. Withdrawal from caffeine. Caffeine withdrawal is a real thing. So if you drank a lot of caffeine, you might experience headaches or tiredness. That's just your body withdrawing from the caffeine. Physical annoyances may include weariness, tiredness, nausea, and sleeplessness. Some, some of those things are normal. Um, during a fast, four major areas of the body are going through the detox process. So the bowels and the large intestines, and he explains to you what's happening in those systems of the body and uh, how to fight off some of those effects. The kidneys and drinking juices and, and water will really help your kidneys. The lungs, walking exercises helps to keep your lungs in good shape during your fast. And the skin, a third of the toxins actually leach through your skin. So he gives you uh, suggestions on how to handle your skin. A lot of people break out when they fast especially younger people. Uh, helpful hints, spiritual, seek advice and permission. You should always have a spiritual covering. So, you know, if you're thinking of doing something really extreme, make sure you check with Pastor Tim or myself or whoever you consider your spiritual leader in that case. Uh, fast and pray in order to humble, self, humble yourself and purify your worship. In fasting, we're not trying to get something from God, but seeking to realign our hearts our affections with his. In fasting, we can more readily say, we love you, Lord, more than anything in the world. Lust of any kind is perverted <coughs> worship, uh, is perverted worship, but fasting enables us to cleanse the sanctuary of our hearts from every other rival. Don't boast about your fast. Um, fast with someone else. It really helps if you fast with other people to encourage you along the way. Um, just trying to pick out some highlights here. 
expect to hear God's voice in the word, in dreams, visions, and revelations. So hopefully during the fast, you're going to go to a whole other level spiritually, and things will actually start popping off the page when you're reading the word, or you start hearing God's voice a lot clearer than you ever have. Prepare for opposition. A lot of times when you start fasting, um, you know, ice cream truck's going to go by, or someone's going to surprise you with a box of Krispy Kremes. So... <laughs> Um, if you fail, don't give any condemnation. Okay, just just go on. Don't don't stop. Breakthroughs often come after a fast. This is important, not during it. So don't listen to the lie that nothing is happening. So be convicted when you're doing it because a lot of people are like, okay, I'm on day 38. Well, your breakthrough might be coming on day 39. <laughs> so whatever you set your heart to do, be faithful in doing it, and don't give up. And if you don't hear anything in the first 40 days, you might be on day 42, you already stopped fasting for two days, and boom, something, something gets highlighted to you. How to break your fast, it's really important that you read these guidelines on page five on breaking a fast gradually. Um, we used to have these teen intensives, these teen camps, and we'd feed these kids, they would stay right at our camp, um, three meals a day, and many of these kids were fasting. And uh, we got, so we thought, blessed by Culver's, and they gave us a free meal for every kid. So we got like 21 free uh, coupons for free meals with uh, banana split or ice cream. And so on the last day of the camp, all these kids that had been fasting for seven days ordered butter burgers <laughs> and banana splits, and guess what happened? Uh, couldn't get in the bathroom that night. <laughs> So be careful how you break a fast. It's really important to go off it gradually. You know, you might think you want to splurge and reward yourself, but you got to ramp back up, okay? Years of fasting incorrectly can cause permanent physical damage, so make sure you read that. Pregnant or nursing mothers should never fast. Um, really, don't fast food at all, because that baby needs its nourishment. It needs all the nutrients you can give it. And so we really would prohibit anyone who's pregnant from fasting food, okay? People who struggle with eating disorders, you really need to be careful. You need to use wisdom and caution. And if you're diagnosed with some kind of illness or you're taking special medications, make sure you check with your doctor. And then on page seven, additional resources. And I'm familiar with most of these. Um, I don't know about the Genesis diet, but all the other ones I've read, um, these are all really good resources to help you understand, encourage you on your fast. So um, take, take this home, read it over, refer to it often, and I think it'll really be a helpful tool to you, okay? So worship team, if you come up, and let's just pray. So again, we're on 40 days. It's from September 30th to November 8th, just as a reminder. So Lord, we just thank you for this night. We just thank you for the privilege and the honor that you've called us as a family to fast. Lord, we look forward with excited anticipation of what you're about to do in our midst and the assembly. And Lord, we, we just come to you humbly. We pray for changed lives. Lord, would you change us? Would you draw us into that secret place that we would all experience intimacy with you?